Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Happy 2021. We made it. Today, I'm so excited to be speaking with legal management and training consultant extraordinaire, Deborah Gladder, about virtual meetings and feedback conversations. Deborah's a former practicing lawyer and partner at a national law firm, where she was responsible for the professional development and management of its lawyers for many years. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Deborah. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for being here. I loved your article about virtual meetings, so timely. And I'm just wondering what inspired you to write it? At the beginning of the pandemic, I was involved in a number of virtual meetings that catastrophic is too too hard a word, but um, uh, they were um, very time consuming, very frustrating. And um, so, that compelled me to write it, um, particularly because I was leading some meetings and I wanted some ground rules set out in advance to ensure that the meetings were more uh, time efficient and uh, useful because otherwise um, you're going to lose people. People are not going to come to your meetings um, if they're a waste of time and frustrating for them. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it brings to mind the title of a, an article I read recently, Video Meetings Are Killing Our Productivity. That's another good point, Shelley. Uh, if you're leading the meeting, make sure you are only inviting people who need to be at the meeting and that you've given them um, an agenda that tells them why they're being included. I think people sometimes um, overcompensate on the inclusion bit and uh, people feel compelled to attend and there's really no reason for them to be there. Um, I think if you're calling a meeting because um, you want a daily check-in, because you want to instill a sense of community, that's great. Let people know that that's the reason and it's not mandatory. Otherwise, make sure they're being invited for for a purpose, just for exactly the reason you've spoken about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's such a good point. You say you talk about the sort of the purpose of a meeting. I don't think we often think about that in advance when we're preparing or planning for a meeting. Um, But there are many different purposes to meet. So I think that's a really, really interesting uh, starting point. And on that, in preparing other things that, um, you know, we can do if we've called a meeting, other things we can do to prepare in order to avoid these meetings being a waste of time. Sure. Unless uh, the reading, the meeting is just for purposes of checking in with your team or a social meeting, because you've got people on your team who uh, are isolated, living alone, Barring that, every meeting needs an agenda, and there are a lot of reasons for having an agenda, um, including letting people know that the meeting, uh, the, the reason for the meeting, you have to list the topics. You need to show that you are a polished professional person by um, getting that agenda out 
a few days before the actual meeting. Um, otherwise, you're imposing on people at the last minute, uh, assuming that there are things that they have to review. Typically, there are. Uh, if they're going to come to the meeting and uh, be useful contributors. Um, the, the only exception to that would be if you're Jeff Bezos, because Bezos assumes that um, you have not read the materials in advance of the meeting. And so what he does with his meetings is he builds in time to review the materials in the meeting itself, which mm -hmm. I think is a good idea if you have slackers around who, and you're not sure whether they're coming to the meeting fully prepared. Um, but uh, I think, you know, most of us don't wield his kind of power. And I think I'd be resentful if, if that were the case um, and I was attending a meeting. So um, you want to let people know um, what they have to do to pre prepare properly. You want to put a time limit on each topic you want to start the meeting on time and end on time. Back to your original point, Shelley. You want to make sure that these meetings are time efficient, not you know soul destroying, because they go on and on. Um, so uh, having a, a start and an end time that you religiously adhere to, I think, is very important. And again, lets people know that you run a polished, efficient meeting. Mm -hmm. Such a good point, and I mean, it really can instill. I guess, goodwill or bad will, uh, if the meaning goes too long, or if you know, you're right on schedule. Uh, yeah, you mentioned about uh, preparation of attendees. And that's, again, something we don't often focus on, we talk about, you know, how can we prepare if we're leading the meeting? But what about if you are attending a meeting? How can you prepare so for you and for the rest of the people who are involved in the meeting, it again is, is more efficient. Sure. Well, uh, to begin with, you want to make sure that you've read any materials that have been distributed uh, in advance. I find it very discourteous when somebody says, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't have a chance to review that policy in advance. So what are we talking about here? Because you're slowing down the meeting and uh, it, for everyone else who has read the policy or whatever the materials are in support of the meeting, I think that's hugely discourteous. Um, and you wanna make sure that you're presenting yourself in as polished a light as possible. So, um, you know, ch check to see how you're looking on video, um, make sure that the lighting is behind, that is in front of you, not behind. People want to see your face, not a silhouette. And that's what happens when lighting is behind. Um, you want to take your cues from watching CNN. Um, mm -hmm. What you see with those newscasters is, uh, you know, from shoulders on up, you're not looking up their nostrils. You're not looking at a disembodied scalp. Um, you're looking at a professional background. Um, so you want to present your best self at this, at these meetings, um, making sure that you're prepared and that your presentation is polished. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so important. And I don't think that we give enough thought to that. We figure that people are a little bit uh, more forgiving because we have so many of these video meetings. Uh, and a lot of us are sitting at our dining room table, kitchen table, or uh, some people, you know, pop, have their laptop 
propped up on their bed. Uh, so yeah, I think that that's something really, really worth thinking about. And thinking about the, uh, the actual meeting, if you're running a meeting, are there any sort of best practices or, or tips that you think would be worthwhile sharing? I think so. And they um, flow from having an agenda. So um, I think, especially if you're running the meeting, I believe in handing out tasks to the other people, uh, the other attendees, so you can focus on running the meeting. So for example, if I've got um, a time allotted to topics, which I always do, I will ask somebody to take on the role of the timekeeper. Uh, every meeting should be minuted and I'll ask somebody else to take on that role. I think that's really important because you want people engaged in the meeting. And if you're handing out tasks to other people, it ensures their engagement. It also frees you up to focus on making sure that you're doing your best at leading the meeting because you don't have the housekeeping matters to uh, waylay um, your focus. I think at the beginning of a meeting, you wanna set out some ground rules. If the meeting is more than an hour, for example, given Zoom fatigue, I always suggest putting in a break. And that's a very convenient time for you to say to people, we're going to have a break at 2 p.m. for 10 minutes. Would you please use that time to check your emails, your cell phone, return calls, etc. Please don't do that during the meeting. Um, I sat on a panel at one point with the general counsel who made a very good point. She said, attendees at meetings are not as subtle as they think they are. Mm -hmm. I can tell when you're typing. I can tell when you're checking your phone. Um, and she found that discourteous because her time was precious and she wanted the people at the meeting to focus on the meeting agenda and topics. So again, back to your question about what can you do as an attendee, adhere to the rules that are set out at the beginning of the meeting to make sure it runs as efficiently, as courteously as possible, because you are being judged um, as an attendee, not only as the person leading the meeting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And your behavior affects the, you know, the meeting as a whole, uh, which brings me to something, one of my pet peeves, when people turn off their video. Again, Shelley, I agree <laughs> with you. I think it's discourteous. I assume if people have turned off their video that they are doing something else. Um, and I, I, I don't think it's... Uh, it's the professional way to go. There are some times when you need to turn off the video uh, where you've got little children in diapers scampering around, et cetera. And if that's the case, I think you need to tell the meeting organizer in advance, is it okay uh, if I leave my video off because, um, and uh, you know, in those circumstances, of course, people are going to say yes. So there, there are some circumstances where you know it's going to um, uh, disrupt the focus of the meeting if you have your video on and you're being courteous to your fellow attendees. But generally speaking, it's a bad idea. If I'm leading a meeting, I want to see your face. Um, I want to see if you're 
rolling your eyes because I've said something you think is preposterous. <laughs> I often ask for people to raise their hands if uh, we're looking for consensus on a matter. Um, and if I can't see your face, you know, we're, we're hampered enough by virtue of the fact that we're not with each other live and in 3D. Um, so having your video off just makes matters worse. As uh, I read a Harvard Review article, and the uh, author was bemoaning the fact that um, virtual meetings, you lack uh, what they referred to as coercive eye contact, or what <laughs> I would call stink eye, looking <laughs> at somebody across the table who's doing something you don't like, perhaps they're not participating or they're distracted and you want to give them the evil eye to say, hey, you know, get get back in, in the game here. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of reasons why you don't, you should not have your video off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, you'll drive home that point to some people who are reluctant to keep their, uh, their video on throughout a, uh, throughout a video meeting. Just also wondering about other things to do to ensure that attendees stay attentive and participate throughout the meeting. You have mentioned assigning tasks um, and also being on video. So you are visually more accountable. Are there other things that uh, you might suggest? Sure. Um, one thing I do at the beginning of a meeting, and again, it's, um, I learned my lesson when we started doing Zoom meetings. I tell people we're going to circle the table that after a topic is in, introduced by whomever is the person responsible for it on the agenda, uh, everybody's going to have a chance to comment and I'm going to circle the table. And so I'm going to ask each attendee to contribute. If you have nothing to say, that's fine. Say pass and we'll move on to the next person. But what I found was that stopped people from after the introductory remarks, jumping on the bandwagon all at once, talking over each other, trying to get their two cents worth in, um, you know you're going to be called upon. And so people are then, you know, we're Canadians, we know how to queue up, we know how to wait our turn. Um, so uh, that's that I found to be very helpful. I also found it was helpful if there are new people to the committee, new people or junior people or folks who are introverted, who typically will not get their elbows up and horn in when somebody else is speaking. Um, so it makes for a more inclusive meeting. The other thing I would add to that is if you're having a hybrid meeting, so you've got some people live and in person, often that would be your, your head office, and people may be around the table. Uh, you've got some folks there, and then you've got people in your satellite offices. You've got an, you know, the head office is Guelph. You've got offices in Alora, Kitchener, elsewhere. It's very easy to forget about the people who aren't physically present. Mm -hmm. So when I circle the table, I always start with the people who are not there live and in person. Uh, because it's very easy for those people to feel like, oh, you know, the mothership, you know, they don't really care about us here. The lawyers have thin skin. 
Um, <laughs> and they tend to think that, you know, well, they've just invited us because they have to. But I think if you start the discussion with the folks who are not physically present, it lets them know it's important. We invited you here for a reason. And we're going to let you take the stage first. Um, so I think that's, that's um, a courteous thing to do when you're having a hybrid meeting in particular. Mm-hmm. Such a good point. Yeah, yeah, such a good point. And are there other ways to help uh, people feel more kind of as if they're in person when they're not? I, I think um, if there's time and uh, if you're leading the meeting, I think it's often um, good to let people know they've been heard by giving a short synopsis of what they've said. So Shelley, I hear what you're saying. Um, You think that a work from home policy is a bad idea. Okay, let's move on to the next person and see if they concur with that. Also, as if, if you raise a unique point, as the discussion is going on, I can reference you again and say, so, you know, back to Shelley's point about the problems with working from home, Bill, what would you say to that? So I think uh, making sure that you let folks know that they've been heard and that you're uh, welcome to have other views uh, to whatever the point is that has been raised. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And then how about ending the meeting? I found that sometimes it's sort of a little awkward. It's like, okay, bye, bye. And everybody sort of leaves, you know, like you can sort of see people moving towards the, uh, the, the leave button to click on any sort of <laughs> any thoughts on how to kind of end the meeting so that you end with that sort of same tone that you conducted the meeting with. I think you want to assign tasks. I think you wanted to give a short summary of the action items that have flowed from the the meeting. All right, so I think we're agreed that we're going to do X. And Shelly, will you take that on and report back to us by the next meeting on how that's happening? Uh, On the Y issue, Bill, I think you're going to take that one if I've heard you correctly. And I don't think we need to wait until the next meeting to get a report on that. So when you find out that information, could you send an email to the group at large so we all understand um, what's happening there? So I think you want to hit the action points, make sure everyone's clear on the follow-up and what's going to happen next. Um, Typically, if it's an ongoing kind of committee meeting, at that point in time, I'll say, okay, let's talk about when we're going to have our next meeting. Is everybody clear on X date? No, how about the day after? Can we do noon? Get that um, in everyone's calendar while you've got everybody there Yeah, and then move on. Yeah, oh, such a good idea. Cause that can be such, a, again, we're talking about productivity, be such a waste of time, all those emails back and forth, just trying to get people set up for the, uh, for the next meeting. Right. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Super, super helpful, Deborah. I wanted to dig a little deeper into um, some less formal meetings that don't seem to be happening uh, in our virtual world, or they're given sort of lower priority. Those little feedback meetings, you know, whether delivering feedback or asking for feedback, 
Any thoughts on how to make sure that those meetings still happen and that they're impactful and effective? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Big question. <laughs> you hit you hit something uh, very important, Shelly. Um, associates report that they are not getting the feedback that they used to get pre-pandemic. Uh, the kind of conversations that would take place by the water cooler, uh, the kind of conversations that would take place when you're walking back from the courtroom from with uh, the, the senior lawyer that you're working with, those conversations are no longer happening. Um, and in fact, I, I read an article in uh, the ABA journal, I think it was recently, and the title said it all, um, Arrested Development. Uh, and, um. Yeah, and what the, the article referred to was partners noticing that associates are not progressing in the same manner that they did pre-pandemic and attributing it to the fact that more folks are working virtually. Even if you're in the same office, you know, you're, you're missing walking to the client's office, driving to the client's office, um, walking back from court together, and or your doors are closed um, because you're observing pandemic protocol. So you're in your office with the air filter on and you're, <laughs> you're not listening to the what would be a useful conversation going on in the office next to you where you're overhearing the partner giving some bad news to a client and understanding how to do that well. So um, feedback really has fallen off the table. And I think it's incumbent on uh, senior lawyers to remember uh, that it has and it, that it's having a negative impact on the growth of the folks in the office who are junior to them. And I think it's now incumbent on junior lawyers to be a little bit more forceful in asking for the feedback that they're not getting. Mm -hmm. um, and that's tricky too. So, you know, I think partners often feel that they're giving feedback when they send off a short email saying, um, Susan, thanks so much. You did a great job. That's not feedback. That's praise. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, uh, Susan asking, how did I, how was the factum? Well, you know, the drafting could have been better. That's not feedback. That's criticism. Um, and I think it's easy to fall into that trap when you're typing away on a keyboard. I think if you really want to give good feedback, you want a video chat with somebody. So if you're the associate, you're going to ask for a few minutes at the end of the day, perhaps, convenient for the partner that you've just completed a task for to say, I'd like to catch up with you. And don't say, can I have, how, how did I do? Hmm. Because you're going to get the F word in response. Fine. That's the typical answer. Oh, you did fine. Because the partner is typically grateful for the effort you put in. It may have been a so-so job, but, you know, gee, you tried your hardest. So your partner's pressed for time. So the, the response is going to be fine. Um, and you're going to walk away going, okay, I did, I did well. Yay. Um, 
what you should be saying instead is, I want you to, a, a very pointed question. Can, something like, can you tell me one thing that I could have done differently that I could do next time I get an assignment like this? So don't make it sound like you're asking for that pat on the hat, head, fine. Let the partner know that you're really interested in progression, mm-hmm. stretching your abilities. What's one thing I could do differently? And then at the end of the conversation, so tell me what's next in my growth. You know, I've, I, I drafted this particular document in support of the closing. It sounds like, you know, I did an okay job there and, and your, your feedback was helpful in telling me how to improve it. What, what's the next more complex thing I should be doing um, to advance my progression, my professional development? And also being very careful that when the partner is giving you feedback, that you're not being defensive. People are are very thin-skinned lately because we're under so much stress. Um, So don't respond, oh, well, I did that, or, you know, you told Mm -hmm. me to do it. Or when I do that task for partner X, that's the way she likes it. Any kind of defensiveness will shut down further feedback. What you want to do is start out, whether you liked it or not, saying to whoever gave you the feedback, thank you. I really appreciate you sharing that with me. And if it was good feedback, something that you think, yeah, that really would help me a lot. Let them know that and say, I, I, you know, I think that's a such a great suggestion. I can immediately put that to practice next time I do this. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. One of the consultants I work with, and I think you've done a, a podcast with Anne and Gomez, mm-hmm. always says feedback is a gift. Now, I, I don't agree with Anne. I hate getting feedback personally, <laughs> but it's like getting a gift you don't want. So you say thank you anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So interesting, because I think that, uh, you know, your your point about lawyers in particular being rather thin skinned, and us going and going through the motions and saying, you know, I should be asking for feedback, but I really don't want anything other yep. than praise. Yep. Uh, that that's so important to just sort of say, okay, pause, you know, thank them. And, you know, maybe listen a little bit longer than you would normally before you jump in with your sort of default of being defensive. Because I, I'm with Anne on this. It really is a gift. And I, I think that perhaps it goes back to the definition of feedback. Sometimes I think we have different ideas of what feedback is. Mm. So I'm going to get a sense from you. Like, how would you define feedback? I think it's a conversation and I think it's a conversation with a purpose of helping somebody progress professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it should be something top down. I think you should view it. and, and, And I think you're more prone to give feedback if you lose that sense that it's evaluative that you're going to hurt somebody's feeling because they're being called to the principal's office. You're going to tell them what they did poorly on an assignment. And we tend not to 
like those conversations unless we're in a bad mood. Um, but ordinarily, the, the nice partner um, will say, oh, I don't want to hurt that person's feeling. But, you know, I think my answer to that is it's a conversation. And we have those all the time. So um, you want this person to progress, you value this person. So have a chat and, and don't make it top down. Start with question. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and avoid the F word, avoid feedback. Um, can, can I give you some advice? Can I, can I make a suggestion and get there? Okay. Yes. Yes, Shelly. I would really appreciate um, your advice on that. You're, you know, so much more than I do. Yeah. So now that they've invited it, it's a conversation and you can say, you know, I find when I'm drafting a factum that it's, it's helpful if I do X, Y, and Z, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. So again, you're going to be more prone to give feedback if it's less top down, less evaluative, and more, I really like this person. I, I want to work with this person more often. I'd like them to um, progress in this particular skill. So let's let's have a chat about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you send the message that the person that you're speaking with is someone that you value because, you know, now we really don't have much time. And when we do put time into having a conversation like that, and then it, the tone is, as you've uh, mentioned, it sends such a lovely and inclusive mm-hmm. message. Uh, and the message that you, you know, really care about that particular associate's development. Um yeah, I just wish we could get rid of that word feedback because it does have such so many negative connotations. There are um, so many better words that you can use. Yeah, and it's 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 like fine. It's these f words. We have to get rid of them. <laughs> feedback, fine. Not all of them, though. Some of them are useful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I heard once uh, the term feed forward. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think we're, there's a step in the right direction. Uh, and then another thing that comes to mind is a type of feedback that I had been taught. And I heard different um, ways of describing it, but a feedback sandwich <laughs> so that you have the, you start yeah. with praise and then you have the feedback or maybe people would call it criticism in the middle. And then you have the praise, another sort of piece of praise after what do you think of that sort of I hate what I refer to you 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 say it uh so much more decorously than me I call it the bs sandwich um (laughs) you're 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 slipping in that negative stuff in between thinking that's going to make it better And and I think uh it's a a lost opportunity and I'll tell you why and b um could be counterproductive. So A, it's a lost opportunity. If you are handing me the BS sandwich and you're starting and ending with something really nice to say about my performance, most lawyers I think are like me. All I hear is the negative. I feel good for about five seconds about the good stuff you've told me. But really when I'm awake at three in the morning, staring at the ceiling, I am stewing over the negative. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me 
A month from now, what I took away from that meeting, I'll tell you about the negative. I won't tell you about the positive. I will have long forgotten it. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've wasted an opportunity to make me feel good about my performance. If you separate it out and let me know at some point that you really think I handled that client meeting well, I'm going to be feeling pretty good about that for a long time. Um, If you tell me that I handled the client meeting well, but my follow-up in drafting the documents was really lacking, uh, I've long forgotten about the nice stuff. And even if you bookend it at the end with something nice, I'm focusing on how I dropped the ball on the documents. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's one problem. Another problem is something called Uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect. So I think we both have this situation, Shelley, where you have told an associate that their performance is lacking. And you've also told them, but, um, you know, you did well in this other area. They're only, and and these are uh, fewer than the Uh, folks I described before who uh, forget the good stuff, these people only hear the good stuff and they dismiss the bad stuff. And you think you've delivered a really tough message on where the improvement needs to lie. And you don't understand why the next time they're assigned the same task, they're not improving. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect. They have not picked up on the improvement piece there. And that's why they're, they're underperforming because they don't hear that. They're just mm-hmm. focusing on the good. So there, in my mind, are a myriad of problems to be had with BS sandwich. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have to say, I, I, I like uh, that description much better the BS sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you on that. Uh, yeah, and I actually, you, as you were uh, talking about that, it reminded me of something that I don't think that we uh, we touched on, which I think is very important part of giving feedback is the timeliness of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, often in the you know, law firm model, we have one opportunity, maybe two opportunities a year um, to give feedback in the formal review process. And um, anyway, we could probably have another podcast discussion about the flaws oh, of that process. <laughs> ab- absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm evangelical about dropping performance reviews, those annual or biannual reviews. They're retroactive. Um, they're, um, they're, it's like being called to the principal's office. They're a huge time suck for the partners. The associates hate them. Um, And they're, you know, you talked about the timeliness. We all suffer from something called recency bias. So uh, I could have dropped the ball for you, Shelley, on every task you gave me up until November. And then for whatever reason, you gave me a few things to do that are right up my alley and I delivered the goods and you were pleased with it. Chances are your review is going to be very positive of me because of the recency bias. You have forgotten about me dropping the ball in 
July, you're just a glow about what I've handed in to you right before you filled out the report. And so you see that um, often, and that's why feedback has to be be delivered, as I keep saying, in the trenches. And I think you need to drive home to partners that feedback is an ongoing responsibility. Um, And I think if you get rid of performance reviews in particular, um, that's a good way to tell people that if you're not going to give them feedback immediately after the task has been completed, they're not going to get it and they're not going to grow. And that's your responsibility as a partner. And these associates are your inventory of assets. They're the future of the firm. So if you would like to have a strong team supporting you, you better get in the habit of providing feedback in the trenches as soon mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. And any thoughts on how, um, you know, to help senior lawyers sort of keep that top of mind, particularly now when uh, you say those conversations just are not happening and when we're, you know, at a distance, how can, how can we sort of send that message that it's, it's got to be continual and in the moment? I, I think, I think training goes a long way to that. I think um, sending out a nudge. Um, I used to have uh, a calendar of topics um, that I would send out to um, the partners once a month. Have you discussed uh, partnership criteria with your associate, with you know the associates that you work with, um, or you, who you're mentoring? So I think a little email nudge, um, give, give you know, re- just even saying, have you given anybody feedback today? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and maybe doing a little poll from time to time you know, to five or six uh, of your associates saying, anybody receive feedback? So, and then sending out a little report saying, I talked to, you know, not naming names, uh, three associates today. None of them have received feedback in the last couple of weeks. Um, folks, don't forget. So I think, I think you know, every time you have a, a committee meeting, uh, a partner's meeting, um, you need to start reminding them. I think you have to send out emails I think you have to train your associates to be a lot more assertive about asking for a lot of associates. That's hard, but you have to, you know, what I keep telling associates is you have to manage your own career. Nobody is going to do that for you. If you Mm -hmm. sit back and wait for the feedback to happen, don't hold your breath. So take the bull by the horns here, ask for it. Get out of your comfort zone. Make sure you're talking to the partners and demanding it. And then you're going to progress and the partners are going to, going to appreciate it too. So I think it doesn't just fall on the shoulders of the partner. I think associates have to take more responsibility now than they have in the past because, you know, they're the ones who are suffering from not receiving feedback. So, you know, I think it's incumbent upon them to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. And, and I think that, um, the idea of maybe tying 
feedback requests to the completion of something, whether it's, you know, a writing task or working on a client matter, whether, you know, there's still always stages of projects that we work on and just mm-hmm. get into the habit of asking at the end of one of those stages, um, you know, a less vague question than, oh, how did I do? Uh, the specific thoughtful questions that you were mentioning um, at the outset when we started talking about uh, about the F word. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, I think, I think there are some firms that do prompts after an associate has hit a certain number of hours, which oh. isn't a bad idea. But what troubles me about that is the associates who are busiest are getting more feedback than the associates who aren't getting the work. And those are the folks you have to be more worried about. So I'm not a big fan of that approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then that plays into the idea of sort of staying within your comfort zone. And you're never going to grow and develop if you just sort of stay in that nice, comfortable place. Right. That's yeah. so right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you see people languish there. I think that's such an important point for associates in particular to keep in mind and for partners who want to see people progress, that somebody becomes known as the associate who's an organizational wizard. And so Hmm. all that kind of project management work flows to that associate and the associate loves it because he or she is so confident in that area. And then what happens is the associate plateaus there because while it's an important skill to have, it is not as important as structuring a deal, for example. And Mm -hmm. that big picture work is going to somebody else while you know, it's 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 like uh, the the um, winner of the pie eating contest um, getting a prize of more pie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not what you need. You need a you need some fruit at that point. Yeah, you need some vegetables and so or maybe yeah. just nothing. <laughs> nothing. Have some water. Go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Deborah, what wonderful insights uh, and advice you've shared with us today. I really appreciate uh, hearing from you. I'm just wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on you think would be worthwhile passing on. I don't think so, Shelley. Those were, were great questions and your input, I think, covered off anything I might have missed. I noticed in addition to the article that uh, I read on your website about virtual meetings, you have another article about feedback and associate development. So I just, I would like to direct people to your website. So if you could tell us where to find you and perhaps what other wonderful things are coming up for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Sure. Uh, They can go to, it's it's easy, deborahglatter.com. And that's my website, nice and easy. And um, I've uh, spoken at the OBA a number of times on these topics and uh, including difficult conversations, virtual mentoring. um, And I think those uh, seminars have been archived. So they're available there too. Terrific, terrific. And upcoming speaking engagements and things are on your website as well? Yes, Super, super. Well, Deborah, thank you again. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. My pleasure, Shelley. Take care. You too. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. 
So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.